0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God
1: by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Today we'll be in Psalm 37. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's one uh, copy of a Bible underneath the chair in front of you. We're on page 466. Uh, This morning we'll be dedicating our time to looking through Psalm 37. It's a rather long psalm. There's 40 verses. Uh, We'll read through the entire psalm at some point in the message today. We won't be able to deal with it at length in all areas. But there's one consistent message throughout the psalm, and that's what we want to glean today and gather from God's Word and allow that to speak to and reframe our hearts as we move forward. So invite you, if you would, to stand and acknowledge this is the word of God
0: as Joseph leads us. Psalm 37 of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. and forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you carefully look at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace.
1: Let's pray. Father, and as we come to your word here, there are clear commands that you give us. Your clear promises to be known. So, Lord, now we pray by faith we would approach your word, give us understanding, and give us the power through the Holy Spirit to obey and walk by faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So you're really dealing with a question here that if you're honest, you've dealt with at some time, and some of you, this perplexes you more than others. Why did the ungodly seem to prosper and why did they appear to be so happy? This is as old as middle school and continues to plague us all the way through our lives. There's always somebody that seems to be more ahead, more successful, have more friends, and just have more, but they're ungodly. And it leads you to ask the question, why, why is that? Why, why is that true? That just doesn't seem right. At the same time, at the same time, there's the, the problem of difficulty in the lives of believers. What do we do with that? The evil are prospering. We're, we're suffering. We're going through difficulty. We're going through hardship. One of the purposes of the Word of God is to reorient our minds and our hearts. And that's exactly what Psalm 37 is in the Bible to do, is to reorient your mind and your heart. So here's the main idea. The Lord will not forsake his people, but the wicked will be cut off. So it may appear that the unrighteous are excelling in the world. It may appear that they're doing better than the believers, that they're accomplishing and have more. Here's what we have to remember as God's people. Appearances are deceiving. That's as old as the garden. God will have the final say. And that's what Psalm 37 is showing us. This is much like Psalm 1. It's contrasting two ways of life. The way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. It's a poem, but it's laid out differently than most of the Psalms. There's a few, we've already approached a few of the Psalms that are acrostics, meaning the structure is centered around the Hebrew alphabet. Now we can't see that because we're reading in English, but the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, basically the way this thing plays out is two verses. Next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, two verses. That would have been the way you memorized and learned the Psalm and put it to heart. Now, when you read through it, if you've done that this week, you notice that Psalm 37 sounds a lot like Proverbs. It's because it's a wisdom psalm. It does sound a lot like Proverbs. There are these true statements about the righteous and the wicked, there are these commands that are given and promises that come along with them. So, it's my prayer this morning that as we meditate and work our way through this text, that God's gonna reorient our minds and our hearts. First thing I want you to see is that the Lord's people live trusting that he will not forsake his own. We live, we live our lives trusting that he will not forsake his own. Verse one, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, I don't know if you noticed that when Joseph was reading, the phrase fret not is repeated multiple times. It's a major theme of the psalm. It's the beginning point for for us. We're told here to fret not. What does that mean? It means don't be agitated or frustrated to the point of anger because you see people deliberately doing evil. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. Two weeks ago, you preached through Psalm 35, and it was an imprecatory psalm that where God's going to judge the unrighteous. You're right, He is. And unrighteousness should bother us, it should lead us to prayer, but it should not agitate us to where we are consumed by fretting over it. Now, let's just make this real in 2019. Most every one of you in this room, now regardless of your age, just a few years ago I could have said, everybody but the senior citizens in the room, now everybody basically. And I know there's going to be 10 of you come up to me and say, I don't have one. Most every one of you have a phone. Some of you even have a smartphone. Now most of us aren't smart enough to use the phone that's called smart, but we have one. And here's what that thing's doing. There's some good things for it. God has redemptive values in it. But I am watching what's happening to me. So when I'm preaching a sermon, I'm preaching to myself. I'm watching what's happening to me. I'm watching what's happening in my family. And I'm watching what's happening to you, my brothers and sisters. And I just want to submit to you this morning that I think that a large part, social media through your phone, your computer, and television are agitating you. They're keeping you stirred up constantly about something. Now listen, it's part of the enticement of the devices. If they can keep you stirred up, they keep you looking and watching. They keep you coming back over and over again. To where some are consumed by watching the R. Kelly story over And over again. What good's that doing you? How is that helping you? How does it help you to sit and listen to the political debate? It's the same one that was happening last year. They're arguing about the same things. How's that helping you sitting for hours on end and listening to it go on and on? I'm gonna tell you what it's doing to you it's causing you to fret. And the scripture here says, don't fret because of evildoers. Then it says this, be not envious of wrongdoers. Don't be jealous of them. So my wife, and if, if you're in here, I, I don't know who you are. She was just sharing this with me. My wife was having a conversation with one of the young women of the church and she was sharing with Celeste what it's like to be a young woman today. And she, she, she's not complaining about anybody personally here. She said social media has made young mothers so incredibly competitive as to who can be the perfect mother, who can have the perfect family, who can have the beautiful house, who can lose the most weight. It's it's creating envy to to where we're constantly comparing ourselves with each other. Here's what I believe. I believe we're all going to wake up at some point in the near future and realize that social media is elongated middle school. And here's what happened. Now listen, listen, don't, 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 don't be careful. Here's when I got set free from middle school. When I woke up one day and realized nobody was looking at me. Nobody cared. All that concern about people looking, nobody cared about me. What I figured out, everybody was worried about who. And that's exactly what's driving us on social media. Will you please like my photo? Please. Be not envious, he says. Why? What's the perspective? What's the perspective? For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. They're short-lived. Isaiah forty says, Their voices cry, a voice says, Cry, and said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, all its beauty is like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, But, but the word of our God will stand forever. So if that's true, and it is true, if that's true, then what do we do in the face of people who are dishonoring and disobeying God and they're prospering. We gotta redirect our mind, our heart, our actions, our emotions, how we act and respond. So here's these commands, verse three Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So here's what happened in the latter part of the 20th century in conservative evangelical world, and some of you would still like for us to try this. Here's, here's, what, here's what we decided we decided the world was going crazy and it was getting evil, so we would build things together and we would all retreat into a Christian community. They even tried to build a whole town around it in Charlotte. Churches built bowling alleys and coffee shops and formed Christian baseball leagues. and, and We tried to pull in together. Now, here's what happened to the church when we did that. You know what happened to the evangelical church in the latter part of the 20th century? Did it grow or go down? It went down because God never intended, he never intended for his people to retreat. In the midst of evil, his people are to trust the Lord and what? Do good. Dwell in the land. We live, we live here. We live in this town. We live among people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. Jesus. We live among them. We dwell among them. We befriend faithfulness. That doesn't mean our only friends are Christians. It means that we befriend in our lives being faithful to the Lord in the midst of the land in which we live. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of you have heard this verse. You've never read Psalm 37, but you've heard this one because this is how it goes. If I'll pray, God will give me a new car. Because that's what I really want. So this is, this is how people are reading this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is not what that verse means. If you delight yourself in the Lord, does delight require desire? It does. It does. So I... I lay out here a big fluffy dessert with powdered sugar on top of it. What's going to draw you to eat that thing, to delight in it, is you got to desire it first. Right? That means nothing to you, you're not going to eat it. But if you delight, if you desire in it, then you're going to delight in it. So here's the deal. If you desire in the Lord, you delight in him. And what does he give you? Himself. He gives you himself. What greater gift could God give you than himself? You say, well, that's not what I want. Hear me carefully. This is a sober warning. You hear me carefully. Romans 1 tells you that God may give you what you want. And it is a frightening thing when he gives you over to what you want. You can read it yourself. Verses 18 and following of Romans 1. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. All right, so let's imagine I got a big area rug right here, and I'm going to lay down on it, grab part of it, and roll up in it. Okay, so now you got a big six-four hot dog up here. All right, I'm rolled up in it. That's what commit your way to the Lord means. Roll yourself up in the way of the Lord. It doesn't mean I'm going to try harder, try harder, I'm going to try harder. It means to immerse yourself into the way of the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. So as we roll our way up in the Lord, our future is set by the Lord. He acts on behalf of his people. How's he going to act? Verse six: He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your and your justice as the noonday. Now, this is a promise of what God's going to do for His people. It sounds very similar to Isaiah fifty-eight eight. Then you shall break forth like the dawn; your healing shall spe- spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you; the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So, here's here's what God's promising: something is coming for His people. It's coming. So, what do we do in the meantime? The Lord's people wait for judgment. So we're back now to this question. What, what do we do with these evil people who are, looks like they're winning? Verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still before the Lord. The choir just saying this to us. Be still. Now what does that mean? To be still means the absence of sound. It's a miracle nobody coughed. We don't do well with quiet. Here's here's what God God is teaching you, a base principle of life here. Here's here's something that is necessary in your life, quiet. We say, i got to always have noise. Why? Why have you always got to have noise? What are you distracting yourself from that you need to come into reality with? This is why drugs and alcohol are so rampantly used is because people don't want to come to terms with what's really going on inside of them. We want to ignore it. We don't just use drugs and alcohol. We use noise to get away with it. We're to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So I want to challenge you to something. I want to encourage you to something. Uh, This is not a rule here. I'm not trying to be a, a legalist. So don't write me letters about that, and I don't want you to be legalistic with each other. But I want to challenge you, when you come to church, get you a physical Bible, like one with paper. It's kind of, it is proven. They've proven you remember more with something you're physically touching, writing, dealing with. Now, the Bible's on the phone. The Bible's the Word of God, whether you read it on a phone or with a physical Bible. Amen? Amen. All right, but, but, you don't ever... Check your email while I'm preaching, do you? You never like check the weather, pre-ordered lunch. You get my point? That phone is tempting you to move away from stillness before the Lord to something else. Now, I think whether you practice that while I'm preaching or not, definitely when you are by yourself In time alone with God, get a real Bible. Because I don't have the self-discipline. You don't either. I don't have the self-discipline to do it with a telephone. I will drift off into something else. The scripture says, be still and know. Now, we're back to this principle. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends to evil. So, if I'm agitating myself with social media, television, etc., it's not helping me. It's working against me. The text is saying that if I am fret myself, here's where I'm going to arc toward. Here's where I'm going to end up. I'm going to end up doing the very things I don't want to do. Like, all of us have read some Facebook or Twitter rant to where some godly person we know, and you can, you, I, I can hear them on the key, You're thinking, how in the world is that person talking like that? Last night I read something, I'm like, what in the world? How can this brother speak this way? It's because when you let yourself get tore up, you're going to join in to the fray of what's going on. So, okay, pastor, what do you do? Well, verse 9, here's what you do. You remember, evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait to the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. The meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. This is a promise for God's people. The father said to the son in Psalm 2, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is a promise that something is coming. And Jesus expressed it to his followers this way, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall what inherit the earth. The powerful are not going to. We'll come back to them in a minute. Now this next section, verses 12 to 33, what I want to do is basically read the Bible with you. I'm going to pause and make some comments a few times. Here's what I want you to see, that the Lord's people are distinct from the wicked. There's a comparison contrast going on. Verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. Again, pointing toward this something's coming. This is an allusion to Psalm 2, verse 4, when the Lord laughs. Verse 14. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. The sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Now this is a principle you see in the scripture. You remember the story of Mordecai and Haman? Haman wanted Mordecai dead. He even built a gallows to hang him on. Who hung on the gallows? Haman did. For those of you who get get tore up, now listen, we have world leaders. We we have governments, God has given government for to help and to keep calm and to keep order in the world, but governments get corrupt and they fall apart and new governments rise up. That's just the history of the world. But right now, having a despot over in North Korea, he's not going to destroy the world. His bow will turn back on him. You say, "How can you be so confident?" I've read history. Every person that was going to take the world over through power, what happened? The bow turned back on them. This is God's principle. Verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Now, this is, this is a word picture. I want you to get this. What if both my arms are shattered? That's really what the Hebrews saying. What can I not do that I need for life? I cannot feed myself. So the the wicked may have a lot. um, And the little that the righteous have is better because in their abundance, their arms are going to be broken and their abundance is not going to do them any good. One of the Puritans said this, the great question is, whether he is with us or against us. And the great misfortune of this question is there are so few people asking the question Is God for me or against me? You see, the way of the righteous has hope in a future. Verse 18 The Lord knows the day of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord, like the glory of the pastures, they will vanish. Like smoke they vanish away. So this is acknowledging that there are going to be difficult times, and in the midst of these difficult times, God is going to preserve his people, and in the end the wicked will vanish. Now even though they're they're experiencing abundance in the midst of this, it says in verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. So the wicked in their prosperity borrow, but don't pay back. But the righteous who have little in the midst of their difficulty are generous. Now, brothers and sisters, I just want to press in right here and pause and ask a question. I've had, this, I've had this discussion. This is not a hypothetical discussion. I've had this discussion at Parkwood Baptist Church many times in 27 years. Well, if my kid does that, they'll never make any money. First of all, I just, I just want you to think of the arrogance of that statement. What does that say about the people in this community who do that career? They're unnecessary to this community and to the God's economy of things in the world whatever that is? And, and, and is the source of your child's well-being and happiness in life is plenty? Is that what they need? They need more? I just, I just have a question. I just want to press into this for a minute. Because this is one of the places to where the separation of what God's people look like in the world when it comes to plenty, it's, the lines get really blurred. And I'm not trying to lay into any of you that God has allowed you to have a lot. I'm I'm not. There are godly people who have a lot. It doesn't mean you're ungodly. But but is that the goal? Is that the goal for our children? Is that what we want? Is for them to have a lot? And the real question is, what are we going to have to do to get them there? Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, comma, when he delights in his way. Now, brothers and sisters, this verse ought ought to make you shake a little bit. Because again, what God is saying here is, you want to go your way? Okay. Okay. Now, I remind you of something, as I have reminded many a young person through the years who have rebelled and walked away from the Lord. The Lord is sovereign over the fish. Anybody get the illustration? He might send one to swallow you. But he will let you go your way. Though he fall, he will not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Now, those who delight in the Lord, who delight in his way, the Lord establishes his steps. Even though he has difficulty in life, he's not going to be destroyed. He'll be cast down, but not destroyed. Why? Because the Lord upholds his hand. Now, I love this image. It is not dependent on how tightly I have a hold of the Lord, It is dependent on how tightly the Lord has a hold of me. He upholds our hand. Verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. So the Lord provides for his own and in turn, his own bless others. And not only do they do that, but their children become a blessing. Now, this is still in the context of having little. But even in the midst of little, they they give more. Now, I have a person very dear in my life who has never had much. I've never, ever, ever been around her. She didn't give me something. Ever. Ever. She's the most generous person I know. Generosity has nothing to do with how much you have, it is a matter of the heart. So I have a question again for the parent. I'm, I'm pre- press into the parent for a minute. or grandparent, Would you rather that your children have it all or that your children are a blessing? And here's the lie some of us are believing. If my kids have it all, then they'll be a blessing. Hmm. How's that working in the world around us? Verse 27. Turn away from evil and do good. You shall shall dwell. So you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice and will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of his saints. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. So the righteous turn from evil and do good. The wicked are cut off. And you see this. So are their children. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks justice. Verse thirty. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So to distinguish the faithful from the hypocrite, you see that the mouth of the righteous speak the wisdom of God. They speak just things because the law of God, the word of God is upon their heart. And as a result, it shows in how they live, that their steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. You say, well, that was a whole lot there. Let's just summarize it. Just listen. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, with that in mind, that clear dichotomy, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, what do God's people do while wicked seems to, wicked, the wicked seem to flourish? The answer is the Lord's people take refuge in him as they wait. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land, and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. To wait is to hope. It's easy to say, it's hard to carry out. It is a result of faith. So we trust, we wait on the Lord, we keep his way, we do what he tells us to do. Now this constrains us, it restrains us from evil. We see, verse 35, I have seen the wicked, ruthless man spreading like a green laurel tree. In other words, sometimes here's what happens in our minds. We say, the wicked man looks like the the tree in Psalm 1. He, He looks like the guy who's prospering. Verse 36 says, he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Let's go back 20 years. 20 years ago, the world was scared of one man. Who was he? 20 years ago, who was it? Saddam Hussein. So you had to think about it, right? Everybody was all tore up about Hussein. All the focus was in Iraq, Saddam Hussein. Do do any of you remember when, when the U.S. troops found him in a hole? This wild look and disheveled hair, weeping in front of the cameras, crying out for mercy. Brothers and sisters, he will pass away and he's no more. Verse 37. Oh. Just slowly read verses 37 and 38. Now, I want you to note something. Read it again. The blameless, the upright, and the man of peace are singular. The transgressors and the wicked are plural. Something's going on here. The Bible's telling us something. Let's start at the end. The word transgressor means rebel. Well, I have to confess that the actions of my life point to the fact that I have been a rebel. I cannot look back at the past of my life and say, Jeff Long is the blameless man. And neither can you. But thanks be unto God, the Bible says, mark the blameless. Behold the upright. The whole Bible, the whole Bible is pointing you to him. He's one man. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who lived on the face of this earth blameless. He is the only one who is upright. He is the man of peace. He is the one who lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death in our place because we we deserve to be destroyed and to be cut off. But through Christ our Lord, we have been granted salvation to all who believe, to all who repent and turn to Christ. To all who do not, they shall be cut off. But to those who look to him, verse 39 says, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. So my salvation is not from my righteousness. My salvation is from the Lord. My righteousness is not my own. It is from him. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. So not only does he save me from sin, he is the one who protects me in the midst of difficulty. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in him. They trust in him. Now I'm back in Psalm 2 reading. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be ruined, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. I'm going to skip the Hebrews passage. Let me move to this question. Am I trusting the Lord to uphold me regardless of the circumstances surrounding me? I'm going to go back to where we started here. Here's what we're acknowledging. Here's what the Bible's acknowledging. The wicked are prospering. The world's nuts. It's acknowledging. The effects of sin are everywhere. They're all around us. And unfortunately, it's among us, too. It's everywhere. So the question is, am I, are we trusting the Lord to uphold us regardless of the circumstances surrounding us? So when you look at the glamorous life of these powerful people, hundreds of followers on social media, thousands of them, some, then we watch how their lives are unraveling before us. The anger in politics, the way people are squared off to each other, the tremendous suffering that's going on in our nation and really around the world in places of just tremendous human suffering. There's not a family represented in this place right now that either directly in your home or in your extended family, there's not difficulty and strife. And for some of you, tremendous amounts. Some of you worried whether you're going to have a job tomorrow. Some of you don't have a job. And you're going, what? The economy's booming. People are moving in here. I, what's, I don't have a job? This morning when I woke up, message from Pastor David, pastoral care, telling us that in the middle of the night, Nikki Bailey went to be with Jesus. Those of you who don't know who Nikki is, Nikki's a young mother with a house full of children. Died last night of cancer. What's Eddie going to do? What can he do? And I'll just say this about Eddie and Nikki. They have been a testimony of what it looks like to trust Jesus. Now you hear me? That brother's gonna be broken down. I would be. We gotta trust the Lord. This is real stuff, brothers and sisters. This isn't hypothetical. This isn't isn't platitudes of it's all going to work out in the end. This is is God telling us how to live real lives in the midst of real difficulty. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Some of you have this in your home on the wall. Many of you have memorized at least part of this. Unfortunately, most people don't start with the lead-in question. They just start with the promise. I want you to hear the lead-in question. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Now, these are the people of God. So the prophet is asking, why are you saying this? So what are they saying? Here it is. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. He said, what does that mean? It means this. They're saying, God forgot us. Forgot us. We're over here in exile and he forgot us. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you you not read the Bible? Look up here. You know what the honest answer for a lot of you is? No. You haven't. Well, when you open it up, here's what you're going to find. The Lord is the everlasting God. Your situation is temporary. God is eternal. The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters, this is a promise only to God's people that in the midst of difficulty, when you are at the end of yourself, even a young person, exhausted, it is God who gives strength to his people. Now, when does he give it to them? When they do what? they wait on the Lord. When they reorient their mind and their heart toward God. I'm going to say this strong and loving. I'm not mad at you, but there is a lot of urgency in me when I say this. I've said this multiple times now in the Psalms. Is that you come to me with your brokenness and in the midst of counseling, it's not my first question, but in the midst of my counseling you, I ask you, are you spending time in the word and prayer? Well, no, Why do you expect a different outcome? Why? God has told you to wait. Be still. Know that he is God. How can you expect to live out this faith when you remain ignorant of it? This is not enough to lead you to live the life of faithfulness coming to church once on Sunday. It'll help, but it's not enough. You need to wait before the Lord. You need to interact with believers. Because Here's what we need to know. I'm just quoting verses now, 1 Peter. Therefore, those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is what we're doing. This is what we we learn from the word. This is what we're reminding each other. This is what we need to be saying to Eddie over the next several weeks. Eddie, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. You trust him. Trust him. Don't retreat. Trust him. Do good. I can't. How many times have I heard this? I can't. Now I'm going to go grab a verse and I'm going to extract it out of sports where it was never intended to be used as a mantra. And I'm going to put it to where it's supposed to be. God gave this verse to suffering people. Here it is. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not about human accomplishment. That's about what God can do in and through his people in the midst of real life. Real life. Real living. I don't know what your heart is. I don't. I know some of the hardness in this room and it breaks my heart. It does. The effects of sin break my heart. I ought to break your heart. But here's what I know. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You may be at the end of yourself. You may be. He will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, as we bow together, I plead first for those who have never trusted in Christ for salvation, who have never looked to you as the sinless savior and confessed their sin and their need to be saved. I pray that they would repent of their sin and turn to Christ today. And if they don't know what that means or looks like, but they know you're dealing with them, I pray they would seek out now immediately a pastor or a mature Christian to have that conversation with. Lord, I pray for the broken in this room, the hurting, the pain, the pain, Pray that they would look to you and trust in you. And Lord, I pray for the body of Christ to look around and realize there's some people who need to be encouraged today. They need to be told to press on and they need to be prayed for and helped. So God, may we be the people of God. Lead us now as we respond to you. Take this wonderful song of truth and may we express it to you out of faith. It's in Christ's name we pray.
0: Thanks for listening to this audio
1: presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.